Welcome to Electric Liberty Land here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. Morning, lovers of liberty. This is Electric Liberty Land here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. As the lady said, I'm Brian McWilliams. Welcome to the show. You know, it's funny. My uh, my voice is going to get more smooth and luxurious as we go along during this wonderful podcast. Because unlike most most times, I'll tell you, most times I record this, it's it's in the evening time. Uh, I get home from work and I jam out some podcasting. But the way my schedule's been working out, unfortunately. Or fortunately, we'll see how the show goes. I got to record this in the morning. So I'm going to be a little gravelly voiced until my coffee cools down enough where I'm not going to horribly burn the back of my throat because I got what they call a wuss mouth. Things got to get down to low temperature for me to drink them. Otherwise, I can't handle them. <laughs> but anyway, good morning, guys. This is Electric Liberty Land, uh, episode 12. That means you can find it at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL12. And that will also have all of our show links added. So all the stories that I talk about today, those can be found there. Uh, additionally, you can also click through the uh, support the show there. We've got our line of T-shirts from Dan Smots there. We've also got ways you can support us directly. We've got a uh, patron subscriber program through Podbean. And that gives all sorts of fantastic perks, including free swag. But also, and this is interesting, we do a call, a monthly call with our members at a certain level. And I got some interesting feedback. Uh, well, we all did. And people were saying, you know what? We want to hear a little bit more about foreign policy. I uh, feel like, you know, overall, you guys are doing a great job, real bang up stuff. But we could do a little bit more looking outward rather than inward. Of course, with everything going on lately, it's tough to do that. But I've got some great stories I'm going to get into in just a little bit that will look at foreign policy and what Trump is doing around the world and how I think it's going to impact us. So we'll get to that in just a little bit. I also want to remind everybody that you can listen to our other shows. Mark on Mondays, uh, John Odermatt on Fridays, doing a bang-up jog with Felony Friday. And also, please do support us. Join the Lions of Liberty Forum on Facebook. Just type in Lions of Liberty. It comes up right away. And on Twitter, at Lions of Liberty. Okay, let's get into this. I'm looking at my coffee as I'm talking. It's still going to be too hot. So let's let's push through with a breakfast theme story about Venezuela. Now, I'm sure everybody that's a libertarian or has some libertarian leanings has kept an eye on Venezuela more than anything just because it has become such a complete uh, I guess, thorn in the side to anybody that's arguing for the socialist side of things, to the Bernie Sanderses of the world. Bernie Sanders, I? Hmm? Is that the plural of Sanders? Uh, yeah, the Bernie Sanders, who always, they say, oh, socialism will cure all of the world's ills. People will be so much better off. Venezuela is just destroyed right now. Uh, people do not have enough to eat. People do not have enough. And well, in truth, they have a toilet paper shortage as well. So when you look at it, the, the, they're kind of evening out. They don't, they don't have enough to eat, but at the same time, they're not eating enough to poop. So uh, socialism did cure the problem with the toilet paper shortage by eliminating all the food. So nobody has to worry about taking a dump. Good job, socialism. Another point for you. Uh, but the latest news coming out of Venezuela is now there's a massive bread shortage. 
And the bread shortage is so severe that the bakers, they're not able to get products to create the bread. Uh, the people are lining up at bakeries. They can't get the food that they need. So what is the government's solution to this problem, you might ask? Is it, you know, you would say, okay, well, maybe they should, uh, you know, not that I would advocate for this, but maybe they're going to uh, supply the bread to these people and uh, and they're just going to start giving it out. Maybe they're going to give the bakers all the, the products that they need for free. Maybe that's a solution they could look at. Now, those, of course, are all socialist answers to these problems. The thing is, Venezuela has no money. Despite having all these deep oil reserves, they've mismanaged their economy and put everything so far down the crapper that they actually can't import enough goods to meet these shortages. There's literally not enough wheat. There's not enough flour. There's not enough raw materials for any of the bakers to use to make bread. So the government has instead put price controls in place, which, of course, never work, because all it does is make a scarce good even harder to find because what you're doing is you're taking something that's already going to be difficult to find. And instead of letting the market work that out so that, okay, the price is raised, people are going to look to alternatives instead of they're now got price controls on the bread. They have price controls on the flour. So you can't sell it above a certain point. All that's now doing is enabling people to say, okay, well, the price isn't going up. We better just keep buying the same product. That does not help the scarcity of the product. It doesn't help anything. As we've seen, because now there's a massive shortage and the government can't put enough wheat on the tables for these people because they don't have the cash reserves to do it. So instead, what they've done is they blame the bakers. Instead of taking the finger and pointing it squarely at themselves, they said, no, this is the baker's fault. They're overcharging people for bread. And that's why people aren't getting enough to eat, despite the fact that there's already price controls in 90 percent, whopping 90 percent of all baked goods in Venezuela. There is a 10 percent window where the czar of whatever it is, baked baked goods uh, in Venezuela, because, you know, they love their czars. He said there's a 10% uh, little window where people can sell products that are not regulated. And the Venezuelan government, in a crackdown of these bakeries, has cited uh, more than a couple that they've been selling products, quote unquote, that are not regulated. And now they've got to shut them down and they have to take them over. And now they're under government control. So I don't know how that's going to work out exactly, but the government, of course, is now going to run the bakeries, and I'm sure that will solve all of Venezuela's problems, just like it has in the past. It just is. It really, if if there were not so many people in Venezuela that were going hungry, that couldn't wipe their asses, that can't get out, you know, that, that have no money, that their their currency has been devalued over and over again. I mean, overnight in Venezuela, this was six, seven months ago, maybe longer. They devalued the currency again. The government t- said, oh, well, you know, we need more money. So just destroyed all the currency. So all these people that have been saving their money up found themselves more or less broke the next day when they woke up and checked their uh, their portfolio or, or looked in there, looked under their mattress and said, oh, good, I have a lot of money there. And then looked at what it was worth and said, oh, well, thank God I can use this for toilet paper. So, again, despite the fact that people are suffering and I don't want to I don't want to be laughing at the suffering of people. Uh, but my God, it, it is when, when you take a step back and you try to try to just look at it overall, it's a, it's a situation that for us has gotten to be one that is tragically hilarious over there. So that's one to start your day off. Enjoy your croissant. You can't get one over in Venezuela. Next up on the topic list, I want to talk a little bit about a little thing called the Smith Munt Act. 
the Smith-Munt Act, if you're not familiar with it, was an act that was recently recalled. It was recalled about three years ago, and or I should say it was allowed to expire. And what the Smith-Munt Act did uh, was essentially during the, the height of the Cold War, and you know there was a lot of propaganda going back and forth, and it essentially protected Americans from domestic propaganda. By propaganda, not from other nations targeting us, mind you, but propaganda that was targeted towards Americans created by our own government. Um, and also propaganda that was targeted at other countries created by our own government as well. They also weren't allowed to, to show that to us. Now, that act has gone by the wayside. And a uh, couple of government organizations exist. Like, I'll give you an example of one, which as a publicist, I actually am in touch with. Uh, it's called the Voice of America. And it's a television station slash uh, news outlet that covers primarily covers news that would be applicable to Russia. It's Russian aimed. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't see it. As of right now, we can see it. And one of the articles I wrote on Lions of Liberty, which I will try to find, uh, basically went into why it's such a problem that this Smith-Munt Act does not protect us any longer. Because what you have now is, especially with the state of media, with the state of media and politics being so intertwined, especially under the Obama administration, because uh, as Trump has come into office, as we've seen, the media is less friendly than it was towards Obama. But you have the the rise of the advertorial. And the advertorial, if you can't figure it out by the name alone, is an advertisement that is masquerading as editorial content. In my business, again, we do have the luxury sometimes of paying for content for clients. We say, okay, I need somebody to write about uh, this widget. So I'm going to write an article that for all intents and purposes, looks like it could run in this newspaper, run in this magazine. It's going to masquerade. It's going to put a little little fancy mask on and uh, and go to the ball. The ball, of course, is your living room, and my news story is now dancing around in front of you like a, like a monkey in a tutu, and you don't know that that's been paid for. Whether or not that is a moral thing for editorial media to do is questionable. Um, now, sometimes they will say it's an advertorial. Sometimes they will not. It depends on the content, and uh, it depends on the type of content it is and, and kind of how, how egregious you want to be in, in uh, really smacking people in the face with it. But it gets even more worrisome when you have government and you give government the ability to place these advertorials. And this is something that is not just a hypothesis. This is something that is real, that actually does happen, and the government's already done it. So the government's already done it. You say, well, what the hell are we talking about this again for? I'll tell you if you shut up and give me a second. So on the day before Christmas Eve last year, Obama signed the National Defense Authorization Act, which this year includes $160 million revamping the Global Engagement Center to combat the uptick in Russian propaganda that people have been claiming. Officials claim Russian uptick in propaganda. Now, Russia's got RT network, uh, I, which I actually look, there's some stories on there that, of course, you can question, but I think does a fairly good job of recording news or reporting news stories that are ignored by the American media, which is pretty interesting. Now, this Global Engagement Center, they put out, you know, counter propaganda, uh, original journalism masquerading as, uh, well, well, let's say propaganda masquerading as original journalism, et cetera. The problem is, when they were questioned about what this organization can and can't do, there was a lot of hemming and hawing about whether or not 
this organization would target Americans. And I want to pull up a, a quick quote for you guys. And this is from The Nation. And again, I will link to this in the show notes, which you can find at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL 12. So here's the quote. Uh, one of two. There were two different, uh, two different officials asked about whether or not it would target Americans. The first one said, the Global Engagement Center targets its messaging at foreign audiences abroad. Follow-up emails sent, no response. They asked somebody else. Now they asked uh, Senator Portman. And uh, they said, okay, well, Senator Portman's office insisted that the, quote, focus and intent was foreign audiences, but then they would not respond to any follow-up questions asking if they would target Americans or fund American journalists either. So you've got these people. Now, of course, the old saying, silence is assent, seems to apply here. Because that's a very straightforward and very simple question. I mean, that is literally the definition of a yes or no question. Are you going to be giving money to journalists that are going to be writing stories that Americans are going to be the target of? Yes or no? <laughs> no response. Now, that to me is clearly a scent. Uh, or it's a, a nuanced version of, well, we don't know, you know, some of these stories, they may work your way around, but they don't want to get into it because they know there will be a public outcry. Now, I'm not saying that all public outcry is necessarily a good thing. We've seen enough public outcry over the past few months of Trump's presidency that, frankly, I could go a long while without any public outcry about anything, and I'd probably be okay with it for a little while at least until something that really pissed me off came up. But when you get into the topic of propaganda created by the American government targeted towards American citizens, you have a real issue on your hands. As we've all seen, the majority of America is pretty goddamn dumb anyway. And the media, as they're doing already, have already conned America into thinking that lots of stuff's going down that never happened. I mean, here, I'll give you an example of one that we conned America, or I shouldn't say we, the government and the media conned America into thinking that we should have gone to war in Iraq over WMDs. Were there any WMDs? No, of course there weren't. But yet, we're still involved in Iraq to this day. Millions of dollars, millions, trillions of dollars at this point have been dumped into there. Millions of lives have either been lost or displaced. We're still over there now. And actually, I'm going to segue into a story about Iraq in just a second. But you look at that, the power of media, because media is the one thing, and all these journalists are saying, well, you got to have the, the media, we have to have our First Amendment rights, the, you know, the press, the press has to be protected against the, the government intrusion, because we are the, we're the knight, we're the, we're the, the shield against all of the government's evils. Well, you stop becoming the shield when you start working with the government. When you take that shield and you put it in front of the media and the government's behind you, all you are is part of their battalion. <laughs> and we're still sitting here thinking like dopes. But it's even worse than in a classic scenario where at least you can see the enemy coming in that circumstance. This is the enemy is already in your ranks. It's already in your homes. It's already in your hands. And as you're taking a crap, you're reading your phone, you're reading the day's news, and you don't know what's real and you don't know what's fake. And that is terrifying. That scares me much more than, than Trump not allowing some people to sit in on one of his briefings. What scares me much more is Trump telling the media, here's what you're going to be writing, and I don't want anybody to know about it. Now, I tweeted at Rand Paul, uh, Justin Amash, Thomas Massey, just uh, on a whim. Of course, no response. Not cool enough yet. But I tweeted at him out a whim to say, hey, what's going on with the Smith-Munn Act? Can we get this thing back? 
because we need to. This is something that I, I can't even, it's hard for me to express the danger to America having, when it, working in public relations and knowing the power of media and the, the impact that a single article can have. A single article can change the course of somebody's life so drastically and so immediately. Just think about how articles coming out, uh, you know, adjusting propaganda to fit the American narrative that's been handed down by the government could be. That is frightening. Should keep you up at night. All right. Well, let me uh, segue into another story here. I want to talk about Donald Trump and his, I don't know, what do you call it? A hard on for ISIS? We could call it that. Because he is looking at you, everybody already knows his military budget is getting very, very bloated. And uh, not only because he is going to begin his ISIS hunt, which he's talked about. That was one of his campaign promises. He wanted to eradicate ISIS in any way, shape or form, it seems. But he's now looking and you know, he's talking to some of his generals. He's talking about how are we going to do this? And the generals are pushing back and saying, well, I don't know how we're going to really eradicate ISIS unless we put a lot more boots on the ground. And that means boots on the ground in Iraq. That means boots on the ground in Yemen. That means because, I mean, ISIS is everywhere at this point. Syria. So if we do that. What's going to happen to our military? What's going to, I mean, it, number one, I don't even understand it, where we're going to get the, the troops. I mean, I guess you can pull them home from various places, but at some point you wonder where we're going to get all the volunteers to sign up for this without going into this, this horrible fairyland where we just keep printing money up and we're guaranteeing soldiers X, Y, and Z, which is just adding not only to the military budget behind you, but adding X, Y, and Z to the entitlements that are also associated with all of these people to paying for college, to the VA cost after they get out of the military. Which, by the way, you should listen to my last Electric Liberty Land with Matt Neal of MAPS, where we talk about PTSD and a lot of the problems that people have coming out of the military face and you know all the suicides that happen and how that can be solved with treatment of MDMA. Really good episode. I will link to that in the show notes as well. Check that out. But you look at, okay, getting back on point, I apologize. Uh, it's morning and I'm still trying to get my brain working correctly. But you look at all of this. So you've got this military budget buildup. If we're going to put boots on the ground to quote unquote eliminate ISIS, that's going to open this whole Pandora's box of problems. Because essentially that is admitting the fact that we failed in rebuilding Iraq. If we need to go in there and put massive boots on the ground and troops everywhere, that means the infrastructure has failed in Iraq that we put into place. That means that their military is not capable of defending itself, which has been the whole point of what we've been trying to do there since we took them over, <laughs> over WMDs. So how much longer then are we going to be in Iraq fighting this war? And now a large scale war. For how many more years? 10 years? Is that how long it's going to take? No one knows because this mission creep where it started off as, okay, we're going to go in, we're going to get the WMDs, we're going to uh, install democracy and we're out of there is now going you know, 20 years deep. And now it's expanded into all these other countries in the whole region. And in the meantime, we've got problems all over the globe. Look at North Korea right now. Donald Trump has sent SEAL Team 6 to South Korea, the same SEAL Team 16, by the way, which trained and killed Osama bin Laden. Well, didn't train him, but trained to kill Osama bin Laden. So a very notorious SEAL team is currently in South Korea training in a joint operation with the South Korean military and their uh, special troops. I don't know what they call them over there, but they're training with their 
troops to assassinate Kim Jong-un. Now, I, I don't know Kim Jong-un personally. I know he and Dennis Robin get along, but I don't think he's going to take that too well. You know, <laughs> I mean, I, I can see why Donald Trump is doing it in the way he's doing it. I, he's maybe this is like a shot across the bow kind of thing saying, look, hey, I, uh, I'm not going to kill you yet. Wink, wink. But, you know, I could kill you. I got these seals over there training. But what I don't get is why Donald Trump, after campaigning on a platform of regime change is bad, we should not be upsetting dictatorships, we should not be messing with power structures in places of the world that we're not even close to. I don't understand why he's now going to send over these assassins and basically say, look, uh, hey, buddy, watch out, I might take you out. I mean, how is this any different than the CIA overthrowing Mossadegh in Iran and causing the last 55, 60 years of problems that we've had over there? Because we all know that's what led to this. That's what led to the rise of this super, super religious side of things. And all of the issues with Iran came from the CIA's meddlement there, overthrowing a dictator. So let's do the same thing in North Korea. And also, what's going to happen in North Korea if this happens? Okay, let's say we shoot Kim Jong-un right in the face. What's going to happen? Is there going to be another family member that takes over? High likelihood because of the, you know, we were talking about the Smith-Munt Act. North Korea is a perfect example of what happens when you don't have a Smith-Munt Act in place. That population is so convinced that all of their food shortages are to be blamed on America as the great evil or or anybody else other than the country. And they're also brainwashed into thinking that Kim Jong-un is the best and that the Kim Jong family is uh, just, or the uh, Kim family is just the absolute most amazing godlike creatures that have ever ruled. And I mean, they honestly really do worship them. And that's not, uh, that's not hyperbole. They are, they literally are brought up to think the great leader is the salvation for their country. And so if he gets shot, some other Kim is just going to step in there. And if another Kim doesn't, here's what else is going to happen. You're just going to have the military leaders take over that country. We haven't seen a lot out of that nation to make us think that anything is going to be drastically different if you take out the head of that snake. It seems to me it's like, uh, you know, it's just uh, an Ouroboros. It continuously going to eat itself. You can cut off the head, but it's just going to, whatever's there is just going to keep linking to the rest of the snake and go around in circles of, you know, just keeping itself going in perpetuity. I said this in the last episode when I was talking about the culture involved. The way in which the USA needs to fight North Korea is via culture. There's already an underground there, which, which by the way, I think you can get blown up by an aircraft gun with or for watching is like these South Korean sitcoms and South Korean soap operas that are leaked across. People can access them online if they can scrap together a raccoon and a couple of coat hangers actually get a signal in North Korea. But it's this, this realization that there's more out there outside of the television that's put forth by the government. Winning that culture war is what's going to bring North Korea around because no amount of military force, if, unless you are going to go in there full force and just blow them out of the water, you know, we strike them hard and fast in the middle of the night with our South Korean neighbor's help, which I, by the way, I'm not saying we should do. That's the only way you're going to just have to shock and awe them to the point where there's, there's rubble left and we just build from the rubble. 
And we've seen how well that's worked in Iraq, which is not at all. So I just I don't know what Donald Trump is thinking. I don't know why he's not negotiating with Kim Jong-un as he's negotiated and, and with so many other nations. Sit down with the guy and talk to him. And it's funny. A lot of people are talking about Trump's budget, which I'm not going to go into because everybody's talked about it to death. You know what's good? The cutting the cutting of discretionary funding, great, could go much deeper, hasn't. Uh, the massive increase in military budget basically evening out all the cuts. So it's not even a budget reduction. It's just evening out, essentially, because he's adding so much to the military side. But anyway, the funny thing to me is that people are talking about, oh, my God, these, you know, I can't believe the cuts to foreign aid. What are people going to around the, the world going to think about America? How is this going to impact our relations? I'll tell you how it's going to impact relations. Not at all. Not at all. Because you know what? The people that we're giving money to, uh, while it's great, you know, humanitarian causes are great. I don't think taxpayers should be forced to give their money to do it. I think people can do that through private charities like the Red Cross, which also is shady. But all of the people that we're giving money to doesn't even seem to appreciate it. Doesn't really seem to matter because it doesn't get to them half the time. It's taken away by warlords or whatever is else there. If, you know, some of that money that they're crying about being cut, maybe if Donald Trump sat down with North Korea and negotiated with him and said, hey, uh, why don't you guys knock it the hell off? And uh, and I'll, you know, we'll give you give you this rice. Maybe try to make it a market base. You know, we'll we will help with your needs instead of just ignoring them and sanctioning them to make all the problems in the country even worse, because. What do you think their propaganda is playing into? Every time the U.S. sanctions North Korea and things get worse for their people there, that gives North Korea and Kim Jong-un a brand new mine to do, chip away for gold and diamonds with which to, to completely fool the populace again. And let's not forget how insane it would be logistically. Let's like, forget all that deal. Right? Said, let's say we did go to war with North Korea. Do you know how logistically screwed we would be? Because there's no way we can win that war without using nuclear weapons. I was talking to Howie Snowden earlier today, and he had been talking on our forum, which, again, you can join, Lions of Liberty Forum on Facebook. But I was talking to him, and and uh, I asked him, I said, give me some more insight about North Korea. I'm going to talk about it on the show today. And he told me that from the intelligence that he's gleaned, because he works in that industry, and you know, North Korea's got these extensive underground facilities, bunkers upon bunkers, more than Saddam Hussein had. Remember our bunker buster? That's not going to work here. The facilities are too vast underground. They've really built it in there. They're dug in. So there's no way that we're going to win a war without sacrificing thousands, if not millions of lives of South Koreans and Americans combined or dropping a nuke. And let's not forget as well that South Korea, their strength is heavy artillery. All right. They have all this heavy artillery. They've got a million strong armed force which is has a little bit of outdated weaponry. God knows, you know, they, their air, air force is terrible, whereas the U.S. has, you know, unparalleled air strength. But that doesn't really help us when all of their facilities and all of their heavy artillery are embedded within mountain strongholds. So we can bomb all day and we're going to half hit, half miss. In the meantime, you've got Seoul 30 miles away or 30 kilometers away. They can bomb the living hell out of it. 20 million people may die if a war starts between North Korea and South Korea. And the U.S. right in the middle. There are 80,000 troops there on the border, and God knows how many men we'd send in. It's just such a terrible idea all the way around. Ah, but here's some good ideas. Listen to these podcasts that I'm going to play coming up here. Guys, here's a word from our sponsor. 
Hey guys, this is Roger Paxton, and if you're fed up with the government running every single aspect of your life, but you're not listening to the Lava Flow podcast yet, then what's wrong with you? Check us out at thelavaflow.com, or just go back to sucking up to the government. The Lava Flow podcast, striking the root every single episode. This is Chris Spangle, and I am the host of We Are Libertarians, which you can find in iTunes, Google Play, or at wearelibertarians.com. We are a podcast that brings you all of the irreverence that modern politics deserves by examining current events from a libertarian perspective. So please, check us out at wearelibertarians.com. Hey everyone, the Johnny Rocket Launchpad is Liberty. Each week we strive to bring you the best guests in talk radio. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad delivers weekly interviews of noteworthy politicians, experts, and activists. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad is bringing the party to the Libertarian Party and launching ideas in your direction. Check us out at johnnyrocketlaunchpad.com. You can hear me, Kurt Nelson, and the beautiful Heather Nixon talk about the ideas of liberty, rock and roll. And we're back. All right, let's talk about the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. Now, you might remember the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals from an episode Rico and I recorded, uh, our mysterious man of legal counsel, recorded with him a few shows back. Uh, That topic was the ridiculous, ridiculous ruling that came through the Fourth Circuit, and that basically was looking at Second Amendment rights. They had come down with a a judgment or their conclusion, I should say, that people within their jurisdiction did not have the right to bear, quote unquote, military style firearms. And I will link to this episode so you can you can read about it. But essentially, they were arguing that the Second Amendment, which, by the way, does not in any way, shape or form mention military style, automatic, semi-automatic clip size or anything else in it, but they had said the Second Amendment does not protect the rights of individual citizens to own military-style firearms, which they had listed as something, some ridiculous number of categories that included military-style firearms, essentially saying the monopoly of you – know, we always talk about – well, actually, we haven't in a while, but we always talk about how the government has a monopoly on the use of force via the military, via the police system, via the, their ability to jail people, and – they, this court has essentially said, well, the government also has a monopoly on the best firearms you can buy. Now, of course, the Second Amendment is intended to not only help us protect ourselves against foreign enemies, but enemies domestic as well. So how are we supposed to protect ourselves against the government if the government has all the fancy toys and all we get is a slingshot? Anyway, that's the same court, and I want to talk about them again, because they clearly are the worst court in all of the land. Now, this most recent case that just came out is truly horrifying. I mean, horrifying in that you close your eyes, you're probably not going to be able to not see it for a while. It's going to burn itself in the back of your retinas. Now, what happened was there was a homeless man in this case wherein, well, actually, I'll just going to read this. This is from Slate, but I'm going to link to Activist Post because Slate pisses me off a lot. But this, this, this specific quote is from Slate. One night in 2010, Officer Terrence Garrison and his police dog, Bickle, were tracking a robbery, robbery suspect excuse me, in High Point, North Carolina. Bickle led Garrison to an abandoned house, then attacked a crouched man behind a bush near the front stoop. Garrison quickly realized the man did not match the physical description of the suspect. In fact, the homeless man was accused of no crime. 
who was there. His name was Christopher Maney. But Garrison decided the man might still be dangerous, so he demanded that Maney show his hands before he called off his dog, which had already started to attack him. As soon as he saw this guy, he let his dog go after him and begin to maul him. Now, if you've seen what police dogs can do, there was a lot of physical damage to this man. And now he's saying, just, just imagine this scenario. You're a guy, you're crouched down, you're hiding. Just because you see a cop, you know you're homeless, you're probably not supposed to be where you're at. You're on private property. A dog viciously is attacking you. And the cop, without asking who you are, without stopping to say, uh, you know, tell me your name, what are you doing here? The cop, his default position is to let the dog go and maul this guy. So then he says, okay, you know, let me see your hands. Now, I, I haven't personally been in a, a, a knockdown fight with uh, many dogs, but I can tell you for a fact, the last thing you want to do is put out your hands when a dog is mauling you. Because the dog will maul the living hell out of your hands. I mean, this is like the your digits will get ripped off. It's the one thing, if anything, you want to curl your, your hands into fists and protect them because that way there's nothing for the dog to bite and then you protect yourself with your forearms. But this cop, this idiot cop, is telling this guy, I need to see your hands before he calls, calls the dog off. Meanwhile, the guy's just on the ground screaming and wailing and, and, and begging, pleading for this cop to call off this dog. So the cop allowed the mind to go on for another 10 seconds, finally called the dog off, and then put, put the homeless man, Manny, in handcuffs, which probably easy to get the handcuffs on with all the blood and the stump fingers that were probably left there. And then he called medical support. Homeless man, by the way, did live, which is great. Uh, however, he was in critical condition. He had to be in the hospital. The dog tore apart the top of his head. He removed a two-inch square section of hair, skin, and tissue, which required a 16-inch skin graft. He also bit his arms and legs so severely he had to have a brachial artery blood clot with massive blood loss. He had to get the blood clot taken out. He had bruising and swelling. I mean, the guy was a mess. So what do you do? You're the homeless guy. You decide, I'm, I'm going to sue. You know, I want to hold this man accountable for essentially what is uh, unreasonable search and seizure and assault. Just because he's a cop doesn't mean that it's not assault. And with a deadly weapon. Because that's what a police attack dog is. So he takes him to court. Because of my preference into this, uh, I'm sure you know how this court case is going to turn out. But the uh, the case, as it stands, had Maney arguing that it was unreasonable for the dog to rip him apart. Now, that seems pretty, pretty obvious. It's unreasonable. But the Fourth Circuit of Court didn't, for, excuse me, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit did not agree. They concluded that Garrison was shielded from liability because he did not violate a, quote, clearly established constitutional right. Which I simply do not understand. Apparently, Fourth Amendment precedents do not unambiguously prohibit officers from prolonging a dog bite seizure until a subject complies with orders to surrender. Now, I don't get how you can expect somebody to surrender when they're already being mauled by a dog. That, to me, if they're on the ground pleading and crying for you to stop, means you have surrendered. Whatever little conditions, you want to put a condition on there where you have to hold your hands out to the side so you can see them to allow the dog to bite your face off, should not be considered. But apparently there's not precedent for that, guys. 
And by the way, Neil Gorsuch was on uh, on his nomination hearing today, and there's a lot of questions about precedent. So we'll see. Maybe Gorsuch has got a different take on this. But the Fourth Circuit, they called this a quote-unquote Terry stop. And a Terry stop basically is, this is for like the 1960s. It's when the cops can stop you. And they ruled, previously there's precedent for this, they ruled that a quote-unquote Terry stop, named after this guy Terry, who had sued the state of Ohio over it, uh, was legal and then allowed police to stop and frisk somebody without really any probable cause, just because they think that you may be a danger or you may be armed. Uh, It's BS. There's no reason for it. It's garbage. It's a garbage precedent. It's garbage ruling. But they ruled this a Terry stop, despite the fact that this man was mauled almost to death. One judge, thankfully, did dissent in an opinion. The only judge on the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals who decided that this was not a right thing to do. Here's what she wrote. Maney himself was not suspected of any crime, armed or not, and he did not attempt to flee or resist. Nevertheless, Officer Garrison deliberately subjected him to a canine attack in order to rule out any possibility that he might pose a threat. Whether or not a more customary Terry stop might have been authorized, I think it is clear enough that the circumstances did not justify the sustained mauling of Maney. Clear enough, that is, to warrant denial of qualified immunity to Garrison on Maney's excessive force claim. And I agree with her. <laughs> I... I I, I I honestly don't understand how any judge it, it shakes my faith in humanity and clearly I've lost all faith in our court system already by this point but I don't understand how anyone can look at the cause and effect of this and rule that this this officer should be immune like I was saying we we're looking at all these cases where cops are pulling out they're using excessive force immediately without even looking and saying okay does this person actually pose a threat? Or can I defuse this threat by talking to the man first? This guy decided that it's worth it to him to sick a dog on a man before even accepting the fact that he might be harmless. It's the presumed guilt. Shouldn't cops go into a circumstance presuming innocence or at least presuming nothing at all? Apparently not according to the fourth court, not apparent to the scumbag officer in North Carolina. It's uh, just beyond disgusting. But it does raise the question, is the Fourth Circuit Court the most status court in all of the land? And I say yes, because we look at their decision with Second Amendment rights and how they favor the government. They favor the state in every possible way. They want to give the state the most advantage it can. You look at this ruling. Where they're saying that, oh, no, this is it's a Terry stop. It's, it's reasonable search and seizure to a sick a dog on somebody to give the state the advantage there. All the state goons get the advantage with the Fourth Circuit Court. So remember that, guys. File that away. Because I'm sure where the Fourth Circuit Court is concerned, things are going to get worse before they get better. All right, let's light things up a little bit here. I got to play, gotta play this clip for you. Uh, good old Randy Pants, hashtag Randy Pants, had some some bright moments this week, and and I want to play this one thing in specific. He did about something else I was going to talk about, but I apologize. I am running very short on time, so uh, <laughs> I got to keep this episode a little bit shorter. But he has two things. One is a statement he made about John McCain, which I'm going to play for you in just a second. The second is that he introduced something called the FAIR Act, which basically is is making it so civil forfeit, civil asset forfeiture, excuse me, is much more difficult. 
especially if it's not under a criminal prosecution involved in a criminal case, which if you crawl, when I talk about civil asset forfeiture, the biggest problem I have with it is that they're going after people that are not accused of a crime. They're just associated with it, or they're not convicted of a crime, but the government still gets to keep all their money. So good job, Rand. I am uh, not going to put in a Paulus on that quite yet. We'll see how, how much farther down the line it gets. And I'm just going to play this audio clip. I'm not giving it a Paulus. I'm going to give about eight Paul Lusses. Take a listen. What's your reaction to Senator McCain's characterization of your objection? Well, you know, I think he makes a really, really strong case, you know, for term limits. Um, I think maybe he's uh, past his prime. I think maybe he's gotten a little bit unhinged. I do think that uh, I do think that when we talk about NATO, there can be a rational discussion about the pros and cons of expanding it. We currently have uh, troops, combat troops in about six nations. We have uh, troops actively just stationed in probably a couple dozen others. We have a twenty trillion dollar debt. And one of my favorite articles of the last couple of years was one that talked about the angry McCains. And if they if we put active troops and got involved in combat where McCain wants us to be, they put a little angry McCain on the globe, on the map. And it's virtually every. So his foreign policy is something that would greatly endanger the United States, greatly overextend us. And there has to be the thought whether or not it's in our national interest to pledge to get involved in war if, if Montenegro has a, an altercation with anyone. Boom, shakalaka, laka, laka. Ka, 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 ka. I love it. That's a Paulus. That's a Paulus and a half. Give me another one. Can't get enough. Keep them coming. More. 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 Uh, and I'm spent. The money's on the dresser, chocolate. <laughs> that was one of the greatest things I've ever heard Rand Paul say in my entire life. Oh, boy. If that doesn't get you fired up for your Wednesday, people, I don't know what does. Here's a couple more quick bites, though, just to wrap up the show. Uh, you know what? They've got all these people flying off into space. We got SpaceX. That's a biggie. You got Virgin, I think, is still in the game. And you've got this Blue Origin from Amazon. Jeff Bezos at Amazon has his own rocket program. They're all vying to be the first people to send people into space for space tourism. Now, I don't know about you. I'm interested in space tourism. But what interests me even more about space tourism right now is the fact that the government, for the most part, is being hands-off of this industry. Like they should with every damn industry out there. But especially with space, they're saying, okay, you guys go ahead and, and you do it. I mean, it's almost virtually unregulated. Now, the FAA does have jurisdiction over airspace directly above the U.S. because, I guess, you know, you don't want planes flying into rockets. You don't want rockets flying into planes. Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. But once you get out of this this uh, little world we like to, to say that we own the airspace above, totally open. And they're letting it to the government's credit. They're not trying to overregulate these companies. They're pretty much letting them figure it out on their own. And who better to do it than the private market anyway? They know that if they put somebody up there and that rocket explodes or something happens that's going to endanger them, they're done. They're dead in the water. It's going to set the industry back 20 years because no one will trust it. Everybody is still going to be thinking about that, uh, <laughs> that infamous scene with Arnold Schwarzenegger in Total Recall where he's out on the surface of Mars and his eyeballs pop out of his head. 
Nobody wants that. <laughs> Jeff Bezos doesn't want Blue Origins. <laughs> First thing that people think of is Arnold going <laughs> for about 20 minutes. So this thing is deregulated. It's uh, unregulated, which is amazing. Now, there was something earlier that I had looked at when we were actually talking about Mars and and how that would work out. And if people, if you got to Mars, would they have any jurisdiction? And there is some question there. And I apologize. I was desperately trying to find my own damn article, and I cannot find it on our own website. That's how sad it is. But there are some ridiculous rules that the government has tried to impose over space and jurisdiction. And, 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 and even if you go to another planet, which would never hold up. But for now, we can take solace in the fact that the space race has actually been allowed to go forward because of the private market. And I can't wait to see what shakes out in all this. Last thing for the show today, guys. Some sad news. Uh, Nobody died, but we're all going to feel like somebody died because Judge Andrew Napolitano has been ousted from Fox News, if you can believe it. Yes, he has been given the boot because of some statements he made about the Trump wiretapping with Obama. You know how, how Trump had said that Obama wiretapped him? Judge Knapp backed that up and said, yes, you know, he has heard from anonymous sources because he's not going to name the sources. But he had said, yeah, I heard that the British basically were brought in by Obama and they were asked to wiretap Trump. Because as we all know, the NSA and the British uh, intelligence, which I, I'm a blanking on the name, what they're called at the moment, but British intelligence has access to all the things that the NSA does, which means if the NSA has got access to Trump, so do the Brits. And if Obama is asking the Brits a favor, so does Obama. And that's essentially what Judge Andrew Napolitano said. What did Fox News do? They gave him the boot, which is a little bit surprising considering that Fox News is a conservative outlet and Napolitano is essentially defending what Trump said. But there was people that, that paid attention to his statement that said, maybe we should listen to this. Now, remember, all of this stuff with Russia uh, that all the media is jumping on is also from anonymous sources. Everything is from anonymous sources because anybody within the intelligence community is not going to go on record saying that they're for or against or that what they know. But no, there's a completely different definition, a completely different standard for an anonymous source when it comes from somebody that the mainstream media does not agree with, like Judge Napolitano. And I'm just reading, like, for example, uh, just in reading this L.A. Times story, which is where I'm reading that the uh, that Fox News canned him, they call the <laughs> they called Napolitano's statements an embarrassment for Fox News. Because since when is it an embarrassment to cite anonymous sources that you happen to have in the British intelligence community citing a story that's in the mainstream media? That's a pretty damn big deal. When you're wiretapping a president and you're using that a sitting president wiretapping a potential future president is a pretty big deal. And you'd think they'd want any sources or any information that are coming in, especially from a reliable source like Andrew Napolitano. It just it blows my mind. And as we were saying on our Liberty Chain, how deep does the state go? You know, I think John Odermatt posted in our forum, how deep is the deep state? Well, now they're going after Napolitano because he's called out a potential link that could really draw this back in because everybody had been saying, oh, this is nothing to nothing to worry about. This is all just bluster. Trump's completely got it wrong. Napolitano comes out and says, no, no, here's a completely reasonable scenario. And I have it on good authority that this is what happened. Well, we got to fire him. (laughs) The deep state, everybody 
Give him a round of applause. I think I'm going to end the show there. Uh, once I said, I, I got to I gotta wrap it up. I got things I got to jet off to do. People to see, babies to kiss, ducks to smack. I don't know. Is that a thing? Smacking ducks on the street? Let's say it's a thing. So I want to remind you guys, so please do, if you like the show, go on iTunes. Please give us a five-star review. I'll take a four-star if you're not feeling kind, but uh, please do give us a review. Please share this with your friends. That's the only way we're going to spread the ideas of liberty. Please do go and follow us on Twitter, at Lions of Liberty. Like us on Facebook. Join the forum. And if you have a few extra shekels lying around, come on, buy a t-shirt from the great Dan Smuts. Maybe throw us a few bucks on the old Podbean patron program. You can listen to this rambling in real time (laughs) on our special calls that we do. And what better is there in life than that? Nothing, I say. Nothing. So for me, from the Lions of Liberty and from Electric Liberty Land, always stay plugged in to Liberty.